The Layered Butter Podcast acknowledges the Mississaugas of the credit of the First Nation of the Anishinaabe people on the traditional territory that we are recording on. Welcome back to another episode of Layered Butter. I'm Rodrigo Cochting. And I'm Rafael Cordero. And in this week for Jordan Sloggett is our good friend, Andrew Perucho. Andrew, how are you today? Good, guys. Thanks for having me again. Uh, no worries. Uh, number three. You're, it's the three. I was going to say, I wasn't going to repeat it, but I mean, since but you here it up, you are, you. you're back. Jordan Sloggett was on this podcast three times and then he became a co-host. Mm, so we'll mm, see how you do. <laughs> I don't know, buddy. <laughs> I have a lot. Yeah, I, I have that. big shoes to fill. Let's just, let's just say big that. Big shoes to fill. Yeah. Uh, before we do get started, um, a bit of housekeeping. If you are not following us uh, on Patreon yet, you should. We announced our trading card number two, which was very exciting. Uh, Mr. Tom Ralston, if you're a fan of the Fast and the Furious, it is a beautiful Familia card for the famili- the Patreon Familia. So go and check that out. Uh, make sure to rate and subscribe our podcast. Five stars only. If you're going to give us <laughs> less than five, take a moment Think about why you would do that to us. And if you are not a fan of this podcast, why are you listening? You know, so figure that out on your own and then rate us five stars. And finally, make sure to check out the website. A lot of new content, weekly columns going out, reviews happening. So, so yeah, Uh, before we kick off the pre-show, though, taking advantage that Mr. Andrew Perucho is here in the house. Um, Andrew, can you give us a bit of a state of the nation on Laird Butter? Good one. You know, yeah. a lot of people may be listening to this podcast and may not be familiar with the book slash magazine side of the business. And that's really the true bread and butter of oh, the whole thing. Oh, so, this guy. Oh, I like that. You know, I threw I threw out that pun yesterday <laughs> in our business meeting and nobody fucking gave I was me prepared any, for that. Any praise. But Raph, I enjoyed I saw that, that you coming. enjoyed I love it. My pun. I love it. Um, so yeah, so so Andrew, you know, t- tell people a little bit about Lear Butter, the book, and sort of maybe what's coming next. What are we up to now? Give yeah, them, give the people an update. We've, uh, I'd like to say that we've closed the door on modern horror. Uh, that was already uh, the book's completed. It's been fulfilled. All the orders have gone out. I believe it's just the UK and the EU orders that are still outstanding. The UPS shipment is still on its way to our U- uh, UK provider or supplier. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone should have their books. We've been reposting a bunch of stories of people opening their books and um, reading their books. So thank you guys for supporting Modern Horror. And uh, I think our eyes are set on our fifth book, which is our Studio Ghibli uh, issue. And uh, I'm happy to announce that we have locked down uh, an artist to do our uh, free print with that order with that book. So um, I'm excited to see. Um, I'm excited for that one. I'm excited to announce who that artist is. Um, I'm sure it'll lift everyone's spirits. Is that is that a hint for the AMP community it, that they will it, know? It, it it is it is. So that's a little uh, little little nugget <laughs> oh, that I'm giving you guys that I haven't even uh, thrown out on the Instagram yet. So it's a it's a it's a podcast special that I'm that, that yeah. I'm sending over. So yeah, I'm, we're excited for Ghibli, but uh, so. As you know, we like to do other things to kind of raise our money, mm-hmm. uh, raise some money to uh, finally go to print with our books. So um, yeah. we're working with uh, Neon Dream Cinema Club, uh, which is a local mm. uh, theater programmer in Toronto. I don't know if you guys have 
been to their screenings, but they're uh, they're uh, they have a screening for Inherent Vice for April April twentieth. Good taste of also this Panakeku. year. And uh, is this uh, is this uh, a purposeful four twenty screening? It is. of Inherent Vice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's very inherent. <laughs> oh, I hate you so much. That was not as good as Bronze. <laughs> that was bad. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's that's where my mind went. But yeah, we're uh, working with. Uh, Another nugget I'm giving you guys, Matt Lyon, who designed our... Speaking of nuggets on 420. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, what a guy. Our, our, our... Both of you guys are so sober, though. Just so you know, people call them nugs, the little, like, uh, herb balls. Anyways, well, you thing. guys are both... Herb balls? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> I thought... I went... My mind went to chicken nuggets when you're high. And <laughs> anyways... <laughs> no, uh, we're excited to work with Matt Lyon. Uh, I don't. If you guys uh, are familiar, we worked with Matt to uh, release uh, a Dune print that is also yeah. uh, coming out soon. It's with the printers, uh, so he's going to be. I, oh, I, I have purchased the regular print and the Poison Fang or whatever it was called <laughs> variant print. I am a big Dune fan, and I love that print. If, if you guys have not seen it, yeah, I'm excited for those to come out, and we'll, when we finally get them, we'll uh, post them on social. Um, but yeah, so he's working on on the print. Uh, the posters will be available for purchase at the night of the screening, and then tickets are still available. So if you guys want and uh, you want to meet and show support to the Layered Butter team, and you come meet us uh, on mm-hmm. April twentieth, we'll be there. Nice. Yeah. Uh, the gu- the gust will be there. Who is our oh, favorite yeah. Layered Butter person <laughs> for all? You know what? He's probably going to take the mic for me and reveal the poster. So uh, <laughs> go, Mark. Um, go, Mark. Uh, and then I guess I'll give you guys one one, one more thing. We're working with uh, Sean Longmore on a few secret pro- projects. So cool. of James Bond poster fame of James Bond poster fame that sold out in less than twenty four hours, and people have still email or still are still Asking emailing us whether yeah. or not it's mm-hmm. still available. Uh, and uh, no, don't ask Sean for <laughs> don't ask Sean for it. He <laughs> specifically says he's. Don't ask him about uh, un, uh, out of stock work. Um, it's in, listed in his Instagram bio. So yeah, don't bug Sean. <laughs> He'll probably just block you. But yeah, we're working on a, a couple of projects with him. One that involves uh, a lot of spice. Um, Ooh. I feel like that's that's already no, that's too already, obvious. I, I was going to say, I'm like, buddy. That's but it's like, just Ron, in what are you thinking? Timely, yeah. In terms of timeliness, yeah. I think people are going to guess the wrong guess with that. Correct, clue. correct. Oh, so it's, an, it's I, a I nice that's a, red hair. I think that's a good one. I think yeah. we should not talk about it more be, lest we reveal too much, but that was a very brilliant tease. And I think when people see what we end up doing, they're going to be pleasantly surprised. I just got a text from Rodrigo um, and he says, you're revealing too much. And so I will <laughs> shut up. You've now. gone too far. <laughs> I've gone too far. <laughs> I think with that, we can finally kick off the pre-show. It is time. Story number one, John Woo making a comeback to Hollywood with a new silent action film aptly titled Silent Night, which when I first saw this, I thought was going to be a Christmas themed movie. But I guess maybe it could still be a Christmas themed movie, but specifically it is going to be a a silent movie from brilliant director John Woo. Starring Joel Kinnaman, who is also a brilliant action actor, I will say. Um, so I think that's kind of about the the solid information that we have so far. I think the expectation is that uh, as this starts moving forward, we're going to see start seeing a lot more names attached to this project. But, you know, early thoughts. Are you guys John Woo fans? Are you Joel Kinnaman fans? Are you silent movie fans? Maybe <laughs> fans of the artist? I, I don't I, know. Let me know what you think I, right now. How do you feel? Ralph? I feel like... I think it'll be super interesting to see. I, uh, Mr. Robot did an episode mm-hmm. in, the, in the last season where there was absolutely no dialogue for a full hour. 
And um, I thought it was amazing. And it was a change of pace for such a dialogue-driven show. And to see John Woo, who is kind of like the grandfather of action, uh, face-off, what else? You know, hard-boiled, right? And uh, Mission Impossible 2. He did, he did a Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible yeah, I mean, that yeah. scene mm-hmm. where the two motorcycles yeah. are flying to each other, that was a very joke. And mm-hmm. um, yeah. I, I think it's very exciting to see what he's going to do, especially with Joel Kinnaman, who you're right. I think he's a very, um, I think he's a very interesting actor and he's a very physical actor. And I think it would be see him something like this. Um, I loved him in The Killing, so it'll be pretty cool to see him try uh, his stuff without any dialogue, right? I think it would be great. I don't know. Andrew, are you a John Woo guy? Are you? No? Yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a legend. And uh, I, so for me, I'm excited because it's an exciting premise. But mm-hmm. I feel like I will be on board once Nicolas, Nicolas Cage um, is announced. Shows as, up. Uh, you know. <laughs> he's the villain. By yeah, because it's like... It's like one of those partnerships, right? Like, uh, like the John Woo needs to have Nicolas Cage uh, in yeah. order for it to be the like a full, jam the full experience. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm I'm excited. I mean, I don't know. Like, uh, it's it's interesting that a lot of these like older directors are coming out of the, or I mean, I guess um, woodworks drag, drag this 75 year old man. <laughs> so I mean, I, I know Spielberg <laughs> has come out, and Ridley Scott has always come out with like a new thing. So John Woo is back, and this like he was doing Asian cinema now, right? It, for a while, so. but now he's I haven't seen him in a while. But finally, I, come back to North America with a vengeance. I so wanted we'll to see. ask you guys: Do you think it's kind of going to be a trend? Well, I mean, with no dialogue. Hmm. Hmm. I, I guess I would question: Is it trendy? As in, is there has there have there been a lot of these? Um, I don't know. But I would say in comic book world, um, in, in the Marvel comic book world, there was one month where they did a enough said month. Enough said is something that is commonly used in the comic book world. I think specifically in Marvel, it may have been Stanley or Joe Quesada, but uh, they did enough said months where basically the premise was that there was no words in the comic. Oh, like typically, okay. if you imagine a comic book, beach balloons and so on. And in this month where they did a lot of issues with no speech balloons, uh, it was a couple of issues really stand out to me. There was one specifically that was an X-Men issue where Emma Frost and Jean Grey basically end up doing brain surgery on Professor X. And so they go into his mind and everything is just like visually represented. Right. And so my, my bigger point, what I'm trying to say here is that when you do kind of limit yourself or handicap yourself in like one way, it kind of allows a certain amount of creativity in other directions. And so I think, I mean, I don't know if it's a trend. I don't know if it will do well, but I think it will, like getting rid of words forces you to create something that is very different, right? Because that is typically how you would be conveying information. And now you will have to rely on other artifices of the genre. Artifices? Artifices. No, nope, <laughs> the first, first way. <laughs> so technically it's just going to be one long music video, essentially, right? And, and it, Yes, it'll really depend on like the cadence of, I guess, the the song or the score in order for like the action to pick up. So I think it'll be innovative and and it'll be really different in terms of um, what they can do. Right. In terms of all of that. No more exposition, which is I mean, who goes to action movies for exposition? Like no drops of just like this needs to happen in order for this to happen, you know? Yeah, which is like when you look at a franchise like John Wick, you can tell that they put like deliberate like exposition scenes for like breaks, right? Sure. And yeah. so, right. yeah. And it's almost like those were the worst parts of the movie because like 
uh, they took an idea of like this cult society and kind of like blew it up. And like I, I thought it was too outlandish the more that they went uh, went too far with it. So we'll see what what uh, John Woo has up his sleeve. Yeah, man, It'll be interesting. He's working with yeah. the producer of John um, of the John Wick series too. So I think that'll be interesting. He, uh, I think he's produced the uh, Sicario movies. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was doing a couple of uh, local researches for this uh, call. Yeah. I guess we'll have to see. I mean, it could be, I think what will determine if this feels gimmicky or innovative will be how good the movie ends up being. Just go on Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) Yeah, go on Rotten Tomatoes, see what critics are saying, and then that's how you form your opinions. How dare you? Anyways, (laughs) for story number two, uh, coming to us from our friends at Far Out Magazine, there was uh, an interesting article by Tyler Golson from a while back when uh, talking about Kevin Costner and how at one point he could have been part of the Shawshank Redemption. Now, for those of you who have not seen the Shawshank Redemption, it deals with a convicted killer, Andy Dufresne, and uh, his kind of journey inside a penitentiary before he ends up, spoiler alert for this 20-year-old movie or 30-year-old movie, he ends up escaping. And that character ends up being played by Tim Robbins, uh, Academy Award-winning actor Tim Wait, Robbins. Wait, he won for um, that role? No, I think he did. He not win for the Mystic River. No, that was Sean mistaken? Penn. Oh, here we, <laughs> here we go. Here we go. I feel like he won something because Shawshank's always won. Like that's like one of the most heralded movies of all time, right? He has won an Academy Award and two Golden Globes for his role in the films The Player and Mystic River. Thank you for making me interrupt. My wow, <laughs> shit, Mystic River. I thought it was Sean Penn. That's where he's being like held back. But anyway, so Tim sorry, Robbins was Roddy. part of Mystic River. Oh, bro, oh, he didn't time. even know that. Anyways, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Anyways, Kevin Costner could have been that person, and I do think it's kind of interesting because uh, there, there, there's some parts here in this article where they explain that Costner kind of brings uh, an inexhaustible optimism to the screen, and I think that's very true. If you think a lot about a Kevin Costner films and kind of the sort of attitude that he brings, he brings a lot of kind of like this gruff Americana persona. But that does have a certain amount of like optimism and belief of success and so on, which I think is something that would have been interesting to see we woven into uh, the character of Andy in the Shawshank Redemption. Um, but what do you guys think? Like, would this movie have changed vastly with Costner in that lead role? Should he have quit Waterworld to do this? <laughs> Should he do a Waterworld too? You know, what I, are our thoughts? my thoughts are: I think you're right. Costner has this confidence in portrayals character cast and i feel like tim robbins and this no disrespect to tim robbins, i feel like tim robbins is like i think he was kind of perfect right if i see coster in that role i'm gonna be like i don't know if i believe <laughs> i feel like you know you did it <laughs> right um and um i don't know i just feel like it was it would take away from the magic Robbins, yeah. But mm. also, what I wanted to say about the story, most interestingly, is how <laughs> um, Waterworld, right, and how it traumatized Kevin Costner in the sense that, like, with uh, with the um, what's it called the the pre production experience, you know, I feel like he couldn't just leave, and I feel like it's affected how he sees his future or what he could have done instead. Um, and I'm I'm so curious to see. Of other films and other films who have ha- who are been in that, and uh, 
And it doesn't have to be in a film that was as terrible as Waterworld, right? But I mean, with a troubled shoot and you know, how you. What about you, Andrew? Are you a Tim Robbins slash Shawshank slash Waterworld slash Kevin Costner fan? Uh, I'm a fan of the uh, Waterworld attraction, if that counts for I, something. And so, so that <laughs> it's it's funny. It's it's hilarious. Like for what I ju- like jumping on what Raf was saying. I think it's hilarious that like uh, Waterworld has become a stain on his career, and then <laughs> to you know. To push it even further, there's like an attraction that like hasn't that's been in like the Universal Parks that ha- like is a fan favorite. So as much as he tries to like remove himself from the narrative of like or tries to forget about Waterworld, like it just keeps coming back up. And uh, I think it's funny. But no, I mean, it's it's hard to kind of see him in that role now. Right. Like Tim Robbins is yeah. kind of like uh, that's completely iconic. Yeah, over it's that. iconic. Yeah. Yeah, it's like saying Morgan Freeman would have been played by X character. Like, hard to imagine that, too, when Morgan Freeman... Yeah, because Kevin Costner has so many iconic roles, right, that are his, I feel like. Like, Robin Hood, (laughs) um, Dances with Wolves. wolves. Like, let let Tim Robin have, like, a couple of roles, or a couple of movies. Let him have a career. Now you guys pretending that Tim Robbins is like some lowly actor. I've only seen him in Shawshank. Winning for the intro. Let me go on his IMDb and pay him, you know, his full (laughs) respects. Yeah, Uh, Kevin Costner was Paul Kent in Man of Steel. Yeah, he's credited in the Snyder in the Snyder cut. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that scene where like the tornado was like coming and he's just like, no. Sorry. Story for another time. Uh, when we come back, guys, we're gonna that's where we're gonna end our pre-show. But when we come back, we're gonna have a great conversation with uh, our good friend Mark Delonville about film festivals and the process of getting into them as a you know an exhibitor. So stay tuned for that. But now a quick break. Layered Butter is brought to you by Hola Translation. Hola Translation is a Spanish translation agency that can help you translate anything you need into the world's fourth most spoken language. Whether you're looking for your advertisement to have a bigger impact in the Hispanic community, or you need personal documents translated from Spanish to English, Hola Translation offers quick service at competitive prices. Hola Translation is offering Layered Butter listeners 5% off all their services across the board. Go to holatranslation.org and use the promo code BUTTER, that's B-U-T-T-E-R. Say goodbye to Google Translate and say hola to Hola Translation. And we're back. Uh, This week we have a very special uh, guest star for our main feature. He is one of our Laird Butter teammates, uh, a man uh, dear to our hearts. It's Mark DeLonville. And the reason we have him uh, on this week is because he's been up to some some interesting stuff. And I think it it is well worth exploring. Um, Mark, I guess before... It's hard to kind of get to, to tease this without uh, talking about it up front, but you know, you've created like God, you've created like God created man, you've created a short <laughs> film. Uh, tell us about your short, short film cruise is what it's called. I believe. Right? Yeah, that's correct. Yes. Cruise is the, uh, is the title of it. Um, we just started our festival run and essentially cruise is about what happens to the people you hang up on that try to sell you a cruise. <laughs> that's a great little tagline. Love it. It is. It's. It's a short film that uh, Mark has created. With, I believe. I believe we have a co-creator in this. In this. Um, 
I do, yes. Um, I worked with uh, the director of the project, uh, Sam Rudikoff. I've known him since uh, school when we kind of grew up and grew up together and, you know, went through film school together. uh, And uh, the two of us wrote it or he wrote it, came up with the story together and then he directed it and I produced it. Um, So as you were mentioning, you're kind of starting your uh, film festival circuit run or so on. So how did you decide to apply for festivals? Like, what was that process like? Well, uh, since the beginning, you know, we've been working on this film for about two and a half years and we really wanted to essentially create something that we could submit to a festival. So it was always our end goal <laughs> to go into that route. Um, with short film, it's changed so much in the past few years is that, you know, I have friends who have done short films and release them online immediately once they're done. And you can kind of. Uh, it, with the change of YouTube and TikTok and all these different services, there's different ways of distribution now. It used to be that, you know, what we're doing is kind of the traditional method. You would create a short film, release into a festival circuit, and then hope that it would be accepted. And then, of course, show it in front of audiences and gain momentum through there. Now, this has changed a little bit because now people can essentially create their own film and put it up on YouTube and it's immediately there. And especially if people haven't already pre essentially, I would say pre baked in audience or like subscribers are very high to an audience. They can get out their content quicker, faster without having to pay as much money um, or go through that process over the course of say, you know, a year or year and a half of what a typical festival run would be. And so when you were when when you're actually applying to to a festival like what is that process like like so for example is, is it, I would imagine there's fees involved and is it's there expensive. like an application form Yeah it is it's, okay. it's an expensive process as I've come to realize <laughs> uh <laughs> is something that uh, I know people told me that up front and um it was good to do a lot of research going into it um but I've come to realize that, yes, it's an expensive process because not only do you apply for the festivals and hope that you get into them, but then if you do, they also encourage you to attend the festivals. So if you're at, mm-hmm. you know, depending on where you are, if you're based in Europe or based in North America, uh, it can it can be very expensive. Um, mm-hmm. There's there was a lot of things I would recommend, like when people were going into the festival run. What I tried to do is do a lot of research before I even applied to anything. It was one of those things where when we were looking towards, you know, going into different festivals, a lot of videos on YouTube with filmmakers from past festival runs, they give you advice and it's pretty basic, but it's really good. It's certain things like um, always tend to apply for earlier bird deadlines versus a late deadline. It saves you the most amount of money. And if you think about it with a lot of festivals, they're going to start planning their program right up front. Early, so if you, yeah. Sub, yeah, if you submit something later, the chances of you getting into a festival are quite slim, especially if you're a first time filmmaker. If you are starting this out as a, you know, let's say you've got The Rock or someone else in your film, you could probably get in on a late submission because you're going to have a big celebrity name that's attached to it. But if you don't have that luxury, you should try to submit as early as possible because they tend to build their schedule around the first films that come in that they like and then kind of work it out from there as the festival goes on. Now, um, Mark, I wanted to ask you, is this your first film that you submitted to a a film festival before? It is. Yeah, this is our first like real film festival, like where we've done a full strategy uh, working with a PR company to try to execute it. Um, You know, doing like the taking the consideration of like premieres 
where it's going to be like there are certain film festivals like for example like we can and can't apply to now because we've already premiered in a different oh, country yeah mm-hmm. yeah like for example like tiff we can't show a tiff because we already have a north american premiere that's going to be throughout the the rest of the year so it's kind of like you oh. kind of have to make a concerted effort about what you want to apply to and what you want to do. So for us, like our film is great. I love it. It's a fantastic little genre film mm-hmm. and it's a really good audience pleaser, but it's not, it's, it's, I mean, the director and myself would both admit this. It's not an Oscar winning type of film. It's, it's a genre type of film. And yeah. for mm-hmm. us, what's good out to get out there is to have people to view it. And we want eyes on the film. So for us to get into as many festivals as we can, and be able to present that to as many audience members as we can is the most important thing for us. So to have a opportunity, I guess, to wait for a festival, say you were going to wait for Khan or Tribeca or, mm-hmm. or say TIFF, you kind of have to make a concerted effort and take a gamble a bit. Unless you have a big star, that's a lot easier. You know, I was sure <laughs> I was listening to Ryan Johnson and they were talking about Knives Out 2. And they were just like, yeah, we'll apply to all the festivals in the fall and get into all those and do this. And I was just like, screw those guys. You know, they have, they're just like, they're just accepting. They'll be like, I had no problem. Like, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll take it and we'll do a festival run and not a big deal. Whereas like us is like struggling to just make, you know, get people to see our independent little short film. So it's one of those things where, um, yeah, we don't have that luxury. So if you don't, it's, I think it's better, at least for us to get more people to see the film up front, you know, and, and get more eyes on it. Do you mm-hmm. like, it, um, if, if you choose to go to a festival and then let's say your premiere. So uh, I know we're going to talk about your experience with, with so, cruise so far, but let's say you've already done one or two festivals and you had that experience mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. uh, you, you want more eyes to see it. So you decide to let, I don't, I want to put words in your mouth, but let's say you decide to put it out on streaming or anything like that. Right. Can mm-hmm. you can that film or can that project still be put into a festival after the fact or once it's out there in a public domain, it can't go. And uh, and I'm only saying this for like late festivals later in the year. Right. And mm-hmm. after you've done XXX. How does well, it that varies. Work? It okay. varies. So uh, certain festivals will take your film if you have screened it online. So, for example, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of monthly festivals will do that. They'll want to, there are some that operate on a yearly basis and there are some that operate on a monthly or bi-monthly basis. And sometimes, you know, and sometimes yearly festivals will take ones that have premiered online. If the film is, for example, very popular and has a really good audience, they want people to see it. And maybe someone might not have seen it at their festival. However, I would say that the chances of getting into most festivals, the majority of them is a probable no if you put it online. Gotcha. Um, Right. It's it's just one of those things where a lot of these places want not necessarily exclusivity because you can premiere at a festival in, say, uh, say Santa Barbara. Right. Of <laughs> that. And then six months later, you could play at Chattanooga. Um, the thing is about the festivals is that usually the film is locked or geolocked to a country. Oh, right. Or geolocked to a service that the festival plays on so you can't actually access the film it may be online you know per se sure but you need to purchase a ticket to be able to To or purchase a streaming to view it so technically it's not in a public domain even though it has played online it's still able to be viewed 
almost as if like think of it as a regional thing yeah right? yeah, it's, so it's like if you play it in like i said santa barbara you can still get into tribeca but tribeca for example has to have a new york premiere so as long as you haven't played oh. the film at a festival in new york you're fine you could get in right that's interesting so, that's super interesting. I, I never realized so that some of these like festivals have that specificity of saying North American premiere, New York premiere, uh, Ontario premiere, what whatnot. I, I never knew. That's awesome. Or not. Yeah, unless I guess we're kind of <laughs> coming up with a plan that you were describing earlier comes into play, right? Like knowing like if you're here, what can you do? What can you not do for some of the other options that become uh, viable? Totally. And I think it's a lot easier on say a second time of a festival because you are an alumni if you get into a bunch of places the first time you do it it's really tough because you have no idea if people are going to like your film and you don't know anyone from the particular yeah. festival as well so you can't even kind of reach out to them and say hey listen you loved our film last year we're doing another one we'd love for you to check it out kind of send them an email kind of get going of that and because you have that relationship with them you can kind of put it in ahead of them kind of get it ready almost sort of that like prime them for something that might be coming up but if you don't have that on the first time your first run ever it's really tough to like kind of wait for a festival to hope you get in because you know a festival like tiff will get seven thousand eight thousand submissions of short films um and they'll only pick like a hundred and say like 20 of them. So the chances Crazy. of that are very, very small as compared to um, if you want to just like submit to everything and then hope to see what you get into. Right. So uh, it, it is a there's definitely like I think as films get more bigger, expensive or you have more clout, you have more of a name, you can kind of take a festival run and you know shape it the way you want it to. Until you have mm-hmm. that, it's really tough to, you know, guarantee yourself to be inside a particular festival, essentially. Right. I guess getting in, into specifics, I mean, I, I know you recently came back from, from fin- Finland, I believe, right? Where you were at the Tampara Film Festival. That's correct. Um, yeah. can, you, can, you, can you tell us a little bit about what that was like, maybe starting from like even applying and hearing back and, and so on? Well, one thing that was cool is that Tampere was our first festival that we ever got into. It was the first one that everyone, mm-hmm. you know, someone sent us a message saying that we love your film and we want to screen it. And mm-hmm. um, with this particular festival, it is a um, it's an Oscar qualifying festival for the grand prize. Our category wasn't. But for us, it just felt great that we were considered inside a festival sure. with that yeah. type of clout. So it's one of those things where. I guess getting into like some sort of thing, you you never quite know, like you're saying, you kind of, you make something, you think it's good. You show it to all your friends. They say it's great, but are they kind of like just being polite because they love you or they like you and they're just being like, well, yeah, it's awesome. And you know, it's, mm-hmm. that's it. You know, like they're like, I'm not going to talk about it again. I'm just going to be polite and just say like, yep, that's great. And then, then of course, right. and then, you don't have an unbiased opinion of what the film is. You've never shown it to a stranger. You don't know a people in another country. And then the other thing is that if you, you know, with different, um, I would say selection committees in different countries, it's always very different depending on what they like. You know, do they like comedy? Is it drama? Is it documentary? You know, these types of things really vary depending on each festival. So for us, like getting into that one, um, I guess it was just like a validation of that something we yeah. had put a you know time and money and thought about for like a couple of years 
the fact that someone would be like, yeah, we really like it and we want to show it for you know, to the public was really, really, it was a great feeling. And since then, we've gotten into four or five more festivals of that. Nice. So it's like, yeah, so it's one of those things where we're really happy about, you know, what could, you know, be with this festival or what could be with this particular film as it goes on. Um, but the first couple you get into, I think it's always until you hear back from the next one or like we, for example, we got into the first two we applied to and then the next nine we didn't get accepted to. So it was like, it can go in waves where you're like, okay, my film is now complete, you know, complete shit. You know, like, it's just like everyone, <laughs> everyone hates it. You know, sure. no one's gonna, yeah. no one's gonna watch it again. This was it. Like we're, we're happy. Like that's it. My career's over it, but that's kind of like <laughs> the feeling of every filmmaker, you know, yeah. it's like, yeah. um, so it's one of those things where I think when you have it in there and, and finally, and then start to get more acceptances as it goes on and people tell you, you're going to get accepted more, but you don't, I mean, yeah, how, you know, how like you, you don't right? believe them. Yeah. 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 Like the, it, for whatever reason, you know, you mentioned you, um, Applied to like nine and you didn't hear back or do they send you like an official uh, i'm sorry or not you know we're not oh yeah it. or do you just get a, a left on red <laughs> kind of thing where it's like just watch it and out of office <laughs> is all <they> say. <laughs> <laughs> please contact later you know find out once the festival's over you know so yeah you're like, like oh, well, i guess not i guess not happening. i guess i guess we're not getting in you know the festival is over but they never got back to me so like uh yeah, I guess we'll see anyways. But yeah, no, it's um, it is kind of a thing where it's pretty funny how it is a very um, uh, I wouldn't say it's like, you know, cold, but you can kind of tell this is a stock, you know, they yeah, replace your name and, and it's like, yeah, yeah, like great. We 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 re we viewed your film and we did this and you're like and we just can't, you know, take it for this year. And you're like, OK, you know, there's nothing more of that. I did right. have one. I will say this. There was, I believe it was the Cleveland Film Festival. We didn't get into it, but they did. The blast. They did say that um, they would essentially provide feedback about why your film didn't get in. So oh, interesting, which was really nice. It was something that no other festival. I think it was Cleveland. I'm almost sure it was them mm -hmm. that there was the um, that no one else has offered. And they said they would do it till after their festival is over, which is sometime in April, which is completely understandable, right? They're like super right. busy up until then. But just to have like that feedback, because then you're always wondering, like you were saying, was it why, Rafa, or, um, why or when or what, yeah. what, what like was what the happened? reason, right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. So mm -hmm. this kind of gives you that, you know, closure in that, you know, what you are why you didn't get in because there, there are a variety of factors. It could just be personal preference. Mm -hmm. It could be a lot of the times, for example, if it doesn't match their programming. So ours it's is not me. It's you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I never thought about that. Maybe I'll tell them that when they like respond back to us, but they, uh, it's not you. It's me. I guess it's not you. One. It's me. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it could be a thing with like programming where they're like, for example, ours is a genre film. Maybe this year what they're doing just does a genre film doesn't really fit in their particular, you know, sense of programming of the, you know, what the different categories they have, what they want to do with it. Like it could all vary depending on that. So there's things like that where it's like your film was not necessarily bad or it didn't like it's not that it wasn't like didn't play well. They didn't like it, but they couldn't fit it. it just wasn't within, the right fit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They wouldn't couldn't really fit in that. And that kind of thing is like, what can you do? Your film is your film, so you, mm -hmm. you're not going to change it depending on what that is. Yeah. 
uh, just I guess so, so people have a good sense. Like, what what is the time, the length of of your your short film? That's about seven minutes, six minutes and about forty four seconds. And do you find is that like a, is there a specific category for that 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 your your length kind oh, of fits like, into, yeah, or is yeah, it really it just like short film in general, and it can be anything from like two minutes to like forty? That's exactly what it is, Brad. So it's like if you have it can be. Some festivals will say less than 30. Some will say less than 40, but usually that's it. It's one of the two of that. Mm -hmm. The reason why I did it as less than 10 minutes, I actually used to work as a short film distributor in Toronto as my very first job um, in the film industry. Of course, what I did is watch hours and hours and hours (laughs) and hours of horrible, horrible films that were like, that just would not like you felt really bad because you could tell people clearly put an effort into it, but it's just like either it didn't have it wasn't mixed or wasn't colored or didn't uh, have the story and or it's too long or or there there are a lot of things when you watch it there's not too many you'll see that will kind of stand out right so for me it was always one of those things where length and I think <laughs> a lot of times short films suffer from this they try to fit too much into a short film and and by nature a short film should be I think less than 10 minutes usually between a seven to 10 minutes is kind of like a a good sweet spot in terms of that um the other reason is that it helps with programming for a festival because if you have say usually well usually short films are put into a block essentially of short films so at a festival you're going to show a block of an hour and a half of like six or seven short films and that's going to be the programming for whatever they have at the festival and if you have a festival or so you sorry, if you have a film that is 25 minutes in length, it's going to be oh, a yeah. lot harder to get you into that festival versus, say, if your film is six or five to six or less than 10 minutes, maybe there's one little gap in between. It's an hour 20 and we need to fill an hour 30 minutes. Your film fits perfectly. So that kind of it was almost like a strategic thing a little bit as well, too, just to get it into festivals, having it as mm. short as you can. I think will, you know, help you essentially do well and be accepted into more that you probably wouldn't have been from the beginning. Now, were you Mm -hmm. guys like naturally cognizant about that? Or did you start realizing as you started shooting or in editing or even writing? Like, did you know that, uh, you know, we got to cut this down. We know. Oh, no, we knew. Yeah. From the beginning, we wrote the script like for that. We knew the edit was going to be that yeah we cut it down like uh, the one thing i would say that i'm really happy with the film that we have currently is that there's nothing in it and the more i watch it and i've seen it about i don't know 70 times or something like that (laughs) and but there's nothing in it that i would say ever i keep watching keep watching it that i would cut out right now like it's pretty much got everything you need in it and there's nothing that i would say that is like too long or lingers or why is this illness without, you know, the amount of time it allows you to essentially like by knowing that, or I guess by knowing the script up front, it allows you to kind of keep on a path that you can say like, okay, we're going to keep it to this amount of time. This is it. We're, we're not going to go any further and you know, we're going to try to keep to it as little as possible. And I think it actually really helps because you kind of cut the, You only cut the fat, essentially. You cut whatever you, mm-hmm. you know, you don't need in it, and it makes it a lot more concise film. Like, uh, I, it's funny because we were watching the, at the latest premiere, we were watching these films, and ours, 
flew by. It felt so quick. We were watching these other ones that were like, you know, average around 15 minutes. You know, most short films were 15, even longer. And oh, ours wow. was like six yeah. and a half minutes. And I was watching this. I was just like, boom. <laughs> like, it was just like, <laughs> like, there we go. It's up. It's over. It's gone. And, you know, and I was like, OK, I guess that's it. Whereas everyone else was. You know, like we were watching one where it was like 25 minutes in length. And I'm like, man, this is like yeah. an episode of television, you know, like versus like a short film. Oh, um, for sure. The, the Batman of yeah. short films. <laughs> <laughs> it is a Batman of short films. Uh, so t- tell me, tell us a little bit about your experience at Tempura that you were just there. Like, what was that like for you? It's funny because in Tempura is just based about two hours north by train of Helsinki in Finland. Um, oh, so we wow. flew in Helsinki and then took a train up there, but it's doesn't feel that far. Once you get up there, the yeah. city itself is actually really, really nice. It, it's kind of like, um, uh, I'm trying to think of like, uh, something to compare it to like as maybe like the size of Burlington. There's about like 400, three to 400,000 people that live there mm-hmm. just in terms, not in terms of like, you know, what it looks like, but just in terms of population. Um, I believe it's the fastest growing city in Finland right now. So you get a lot of younger people. That's one thing I did notice is that there was a lot of younger, you know, younger people who were living there. Um, yeah. It's funny because it's did... capital of the world. Sorry. I just, it was it. a sonic. Capital. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they had, they had saunas everywhere. And every time oh, you wow. went to like a different hotel, they were like, just uh-huh. so you know, the sauna is open from six to 10 here. <laughs> and from this, I'm just like, wow, you just guys. Just so you know, know okay. FYI, guys. <laughs> it's like sauna open from here to here and then sauna open from here to here every, everywhere. Like it didn't matter. And um, it's just I guess it's really just part of the culture, right? It's like no different yeah. than yeah. like sure. us, like, you know, going like, I don't know, like going play hockey or something like that. It's like sauna of that. kind. Of, although hockey is really popular in Finland. But um, <laughs> it's uh it was one of those things with the the city. What I found so funny is that the temperature and the landscape was um, almost identical to Toronto. So mm-hmm. when we landed, oh. it was like we had come, you know, flown across Europe, landed in London, then flew to Helsinki. And then by the time we got into Helsinki, it felt like we were just touching down in Pearson because the weather was exactly the same as when we oh, left. Yeah. And so the, the otherworldness, I guess you'd say, you know, when you go on a travel, if you're going to say like yeah. Barcelona or you're going down to like a, right. an island, a you feel like in a different world because it's all these different plants and sun or different trees or stuff, whatever it is here. It felt like I was just like, I just literally woken up and like woken up in Toronto again, you know? And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And then when we took the train up to uh Tampere, it felt like the, the, you know, the landscape was it was up north. It was in Toronto. Like, I've known everyone, whoever's listening up, you know, to this, when you drive to Toronto by about two hours north, it's kind of like cottage country and it's like big, you know, pine trees and rocks and lakes yeah. and this kind of stuff. And it's exactly, literally exactly the same. It, it reminded me so much of, of Canada. It was scary. Like how, how similar it was. Um, like the architecture was a little bit different for sure. But um, in terms of the temperature and the people and, and um, everything else, it, it was so, uh, it reminded me so much of Canada. I wanted to ask because uh, this is uh, in Finland, right? And your film, and I've had the chance to see it and it's fantastic. Am I allowed to say that? Mm, I don't know. You tell me. Yeah, you're allowed to say it. You <laughs> cool. can show no, privately and it's totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> so you've, um, you, it, you have seen it. I have seen Cruise. It's a fantastic film and kudos to you guys. Um, but I wanted to ask since if since this film is, being or, or was filmed or, or was shown in Finland, um, 
do you i mean is there subtitles involved if if the if the crowd is finnish right like uh i'm assuming it's an international film festival right but how mm-hmm. does that work is that something you guys have to do or does a film festival do it how does that work especially for an international crowd uh most film festivals ask for your film to be in English. Oh, and if it's not in English, oh. they ask for um, an SRT file, usually for a subtitles file. Um, and what they'll do is, so we provided that we would made an SRT, like an SRT file is essentially like one of the standards for subtitles. Um, and you, we provided that we got it made for the film and then we sent it over to them uh, to translated into Finnish subtitles. So they did that on their end, but we had to provide the SRT just to make it easier for them. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So they could just essentially copy and paste and then put whatever it is based on it. And they already has a time code built into it. So you know (laughs) where, you know, certain things are going to pop up and you can just essentially match it right of that. So I think most festivals, if you're doing it internationally in a different country, like if you're doing it in, say, like Sweden or, or, Mm -hmm. I don't know, where, like, wherever you might be, they'll add the particular subtitles. Um, And if you are not in English, your film is not in English, they will ask for subtitles in English as well. Got you. Yes. Okay. And so, like, when when you're doing that, like, are you there? Does it, I guess it premieres once, right? Or like, it shows once, and then are you there, like, in the audience? Like, do you, did you chat with people about it? Like, what was that? What was that like? Yeah, it actually premieres usually twice, maybe sometimes three times, depending on like depending on for each festival, depending on mm-hmm. um, how many films are scheduled. I think like with TIFF, for example, if I'm not correct, I think they do three different showings of the short films depending on what they are. Um, so basically the way it works is that uh, you'll do a premiere, like your first screening, and then the next day you usually have a second screening. We went to both, like myself and the director <laughs> who were there. Uh, we wanted to be able to be in the audience. And because we were there, they did a Q&A after. A lot of times cool. if um, filmmakers are there, I think they try to do Q&As with, uh, with the, the filmmakers just to give a little bit extra for the audience, the you know, for what they, yeah. yeah, the experience, pay the ticket. They want to know that kind of thing. Um, from what I understand, <laughs> I guess Finnish audiences are a little bit, you know, quieter. So they don't usually tend to ask a lot of questions. <laughs> so versus a North American audience, at least that's what, you know, the festival directors were telling us. Um, however, they were able to kind of encourage, ask questions, get out of them. Once you kind of start going, people like get more comfortable about asking things. Yeah. It's just kind of that, that conversation, like no one wants to be the first person to send, you know, ask that question. Uh, whereas I'm sure there'd be people in, you know, I'm curious to see what it would be like in a North American audience versus European audience, because mm-hmm. what is, what is their reaction going to be? And will they like ask questions after or will they be yeah. just as like, okay, yeah, I like the film. That was it. You know, good thing. So um, it, it'd be really curious to do that. But yeah, so you usually go to multiple different screenings of your film and then those kind of play throughout the festival. Essentially. It's very similar to like what a feature would play. So like, if like when we were at uh, <laughs> TIFF this year and see Dune, Dune might only play like say three times during the festival or two times during the festival. It's very similar in terms of that block of short films will only play at that, you know, gotcha set times, their, blo- their time. Yeah. And so having gone through that experience, did it kind of match what you were expecting or was it 
different? Did, like, did you have an idea beforehand? I mean, I, I know you. I know you mentioned that you worked in short film distribution, so maybe it wasn't totally surprising. But being it the first festival for this for the short, was it what you thought it was going to be like? I think so. I think so. It was. I was certainly nervous when we first did the first screening because we'd never shown it. Like I said earlier, we'd never shown it to an audience that wasn't our friends and family or people that, you know, had already had a relationship with us. So you never know how people are going to react to it. Um, there were a couple of films before that. Uh, it just, I'm not quite sure how they played well with the audience. So when it came to ours, I was like, uh, I don't know how are people going to yeah, see this. Yeah. Are they going to like, and ours is a comedy. So it's tough to like do comedy because you don't know, like the jokes you've written, you think are funny if they're going to land, but are they going to land? Right. So, and especially with the foreign audience, it's a lot tougher because they're reading (laughs) subtitles as part of that too. So they can't really get, I guess they can kind of get the tone of that, but it's tougher to register as a joke. I think when you're reading subtitles and trying to pay attention to those while also watching the film. So it'd be curious. um, I think it like the experience was pretty similar to what I expected. I've also like worked in festivals as well too. you know, working. I worked at TIFF for one or two, a couple of years. And I had, I was part of the press screenings um, at Scotiabank. So for me, it was one of those things where I kind of knew going into it, you know, what a typical screening was and how they did a Q and a and how that kind of like happened. And it was essentially that again, which was great. It just was on a much you know, lower scale. I, you know, I'm not going to get the same kind of questions. It's like a Denis Villeneuve or something like that. You know, I think you're not going to, you're, you're not going to have that kind of like that engagement of like people being mm-hmm. like, I want to ask you this question. Like, it's not like they, yeah. they don't care. Yeah. <laughs> so they'll, they like it. Like, oh, I like the film. You'll get there. Yeah. Eventually. <laughs> Did you get to see um, anything that, that stood out to you while you were there? Not necessarily, you don't have to name drop if The names aren't particularly relevant, but is it, did you also get to enjoy it as a viewer or was it a very exhibitor kind of experience? No, I think we got to do, uh, it was a kind of like a 50-50 mix of both. Um, the one thing mm-hmm. that was nice about it was that, at least at this particular festival, I don't know, having not done many others, I have no idea how other ones would be, but I think it's very similar um, in that the filmmakers were allowed to have a set amount of complimentary tickets per day for screenings. Oh, So you would get okay. a badge as part of your sign-in, and you would go on to like this like online service. And if there were tickets available for a certain screening, you could essentially up to three screenings in the day, you could type in your badge number and it would be linked to the service and they would give you the tickets. You could like download them to your phone and then go see the screenings that you want to do. So we did that for a few of them. Um, And it was really interesting. Like we saw the other ones, for example, that were in our competition series. So we went and got saw those and then saw some of the national competition as well, too, that we could fit in. we also had our own screens as well. So we'd have to prepare for those and then had events at night. So it was kind of like, what can you fit in essentially of that? But um, with the film itself uh, or sorry, with like, you know, being an exhibitor versus like showing it, I think it's kind of a mix of both. That was, it was nice to have that because it's good to see other films Mm -hmm. like that are in your category or even that's completely unrelated. Like the ones we saw for the national competition were more, experimental documentary and animation, which were great. You know, there were some that were like awesome, mm-hmm. but they're completely unrelated to like a genre specific film. They were just, 
they they were more documentary. So yeah. um, it was great to see that and and get a sense of like a film you would never you know never see normally. So having having wrapped up with uh, Tempera, what's next for Cruz? Like where do you, where are you guys going next? Well, I, I can tell you one. I can't tell you the other two because uh, they <laughs> you'll have to they, kill us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, only because they're not they two of the four that we've been accepting into won't uh, post their acceptance until the end of uh, March. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. So and I don't know when this is airing. So if this is airing before March and I find out that and I get kicked out of these festivals, I'm going to be really pissed. <laughs> you know all that stuff. So. <laughs> but. Um, I could tell you that we are going to be in Florida at the end of April for the Fort Myers International Film Festival. Um, mm-hmm. We uh, we applied through there and I actually have family down in Florida, which is great. So they'll be able to experience cool, the film yeah. festival. Most of them have never been to a film festival before. I have any idea like what, you know, what goes into it. Yeah. So it'll be great to take them and see what it's like and and uh, they can see it with an audience and see what they think. And then the other two are premiering um, sometime in April as well. So we'll have those uh, to to come up as well, too. I mean, Florida seems like a great audience for a cruise related short film. You, you know? <laughs> Actually, it's funny because not only that, but like Helsinki is the capital of cruise like in Nordic oh, countries, yeah? like the oh, wow. city. So they were like loving it. They're just like, oh, yeah, like this uh, is great. We were, you can relate. We were also worried that. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is what the thing is like. We kind of based it off telemarketers kind of like calling people and then hanging up on them. Right. And then mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of wondering, like, you know, did I just did I just like if you hang <laughs> up on a telemarketer, like I essentially want people to say, like, did I just like do something to that person? Like by hanging up, <laughs> did they just lose their job or just or worse, <laughs> you know, by doing this? Like what exactly happens to that person? So with uh, people in Helsinki, I was worried that they don't get as many telemarketers as mm. American callers do because we get them all right. the time. Yeah. But mm-hmm. uh, luckily they do. So <laughs> they were, uh, they were fine. So they're like, okay, yeah, no, I was like, do you, I even asked a question to the audience. I was like, do you guys get telemarketers calling you? And they're like, yes, we do. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> the film will land, you know, like they will, uh, they'll at least understand it. But um, it is funny because like, yes, yeah, so I'll, I'll try to stick to the coastal cities. That will have cruises coming out of them. And then I'm sure our, right. our, our market target audience will go <laughs> up immeasurably. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, I, 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 you ask a question like, you know, what are you putting the person through when you hang up on them? And as somebody that has worked as a telemarketer, I think hanging up on them is almost a kindness compared to like some of the other things that ended up happening. <laughs> like, right. Like I have had my, my person, my family, <laughs> my ancestors insulted in such vile and aggressive ways. Uh, and I was a telemarketer selling paper for printers for the credit card machine. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how can this awaken this much anger inside you for you to treat me this way? I am a fellow human being on this planet and you are making me feel like garbage. So that's just like a nice little uh, memory that you've triggered with this conversation. Oh, yeah, I'm happy to do that. Rod. Oh happy my God. Take that down memory lane. Yeah. I remember one time one guy was like, and here's, here's two fucked up sides of the story. Like my, my boss at the time was like, maybe you shouldn't go by Rodrigo because people will, automatically like you know be aggressive towards you why don't you just go by rod which is more like neutral sounding and i being young and uh an ingenue i was like sure okay and then uh i was going by rod 
And then uh, I called this guy and he was basically like, Rod, yeah, Rod, my ass. What's your real name? And he did a a disgustingly racist uh, Indian accent and then assumed that I was faking my accent and changing my name to sell him a fucking paper for his his credit card. And it's uh, I don't know. So, anyways, if you if you need more material for a, a sequel to Cruise, <laughs> I can, you can come two. and find me. So, <laughs> yeah, part two. On, on on that note, I had one final question for you. I don't know if Raf has has any more, but uh, what what would you like to do after Cruise? Like, you know, having gone through this experience, like in, in a perfect world, what would you love to do next? I think one of the things that is important for short filmmakers or narrative filmmakers is to kind of keep a momentum going through <laughs> like a festival run. So, like, once you like. You know, a lot of times what will happen is you'll release a film, you'll do the festival run, you'll finish it, and then they'll be like, okay, what's next? You know, and you'll take the time and try to figure it out. But then that can grow into like two or three years. And and I just don't want to wait that long. So essentially, like we're already planning our next film, which will be filming this summer, most likely summer, early fall. That's kind of when we filmed our one last year. So it was one of those things where. Oh, you shot this in 2020. Oh, sorry, 2021. Shot this 2021? 2021 yeah oh wow exactly how long were yeah. you in prep for uh well two years well two years we had the idea it was one of those things where we were going to shoot it in 2020 but then uh, the pandemic hit and we couldn't do that no one mm-hmm. neither of us like no i didn't have a job because like they like shut down everything <laughs> yeah so like yeah, there was right. like you know trying to pay for a short film to do this was like the last thing like i was trying to get groceries let alone like you know, want to do my own short film. <laughs> like it was like, can you live or do you want to do the short film? Like, I, the, there's no other. There's two choices here. So, film is uh, life without art. I know that exactly. <laughs> yeah. But Mark, I wanted to. Listen, uh, we both saw Station Eleven and and got the central thesis of the argument. <laughs> exactly. I wanted to ask you, Mark. I mean, with everything that uh, you've done so far with Cruise and what you will possibly um, go through with Cruise, like. Have you have any, I mean, have you learned of anything or what would you do differently if you would do anything differently uh, going forward for maybe your next film and how you would structure it with the goal to potentially hit um, film festivals? Um, the only thing I would say that I wouldn't do is I wouldn't apply to late submissions. Uh, it's one of those mm. things where I just don't think you have a good chance of getting in. And I, I think you're kind of like essentially wasting your money. Yeah. Uh, the chances of you, you know, like I said, getting into something with you don't have a talent or anyone, you know, essentially uh, attached to your film. It's really, really tough for that. Yeah. I, I would say like the one thing is that if there is a, also like a certain film festival that you really want to apply to, uh, try to at least finish it a little bit before. Like, for example, like I think our film would have really played well in South by Southwest and we would have wanted to apply for it. But we were about a month or so too late to do it. We're like, and it was just like finishing the film. We wanted to do that. We want to make sure that that was like important. And it was, it was what it was, you know, we wanted to be, we didn't want people to watch it and not be finished yeah. essentially. Yeah. So if, you know, if, but if you're wanting to go into like a festival, like South by Southwest or, or that they all have deadlines that you have to hit. And, if you're not going to hit that deadline or if you're not going to hit that early deadline or even a regular is still fine, but like early is best. But if you are not going to hit that deadline, then it's one of those things where like try to plan the film around what you really want to get into. Right. And it's also going to be kind of shaped by 
the type of film that it is. So if you are mm-hmm. in something where it's, you know, a genre based one, we apply to and still have and have yet to hear back from like we won't for the next. I mean, we have like submissions that we'll hear back from over the next like 12 months, essentially. Sure. When, yeah, you know, yeah. Up until like basically Christmas of like 2023, we'll have certain things. But with this, it's like um, I'm guessing I, I guess it's one of those things where it depends on the type of film you're making and and what festivals you want to apply for. Mm-hmm. I would say just give yourself enough time, you know, to finish your film. And and the other thing I would say is we didn't do this, but a lot of things that were recommended on the um, like the research I did was don't show the uh, what was it the submitters and uh, like a work in progress. Yeah, Don't finish no. the film, like have it yeah, done, that's have fair. it like colored, color correct, sound mixed. Like that's another thing that's like really important. Like if you don't have a color corrected, sound mixed, like professional looking film, the chances of you getting to a festival are very slim, like very slim because they don't want a, a crummy, you know, amateurish like kind of film. They just won't they won't select it because audiences won't want to watch it. So yeah. if you're like mix is all over the place. Um, you know, you, or your color is like, it's like, you know, blue, you know, uh, for so no reason, you know, like that kind of thing, like get those things like fixed and, and don't submit to a festival until you have that. Like, because if you don't, they're going to watch it once and what's, they're never going to watch it again. Yeah. They're never going to be like, as much as like, it's funny because a lot of these places will say like, we'll take a unfinished film and we'll look at it, but they're looking at the unfinished film. That's like with like Joseph Gordon Levitt in it, you know, like that's like, they're not looking at your unfinished film. that has like no one in it. They, they want to, they want to see the, the unfinished film of like, you know, a major star. And they're like, okay, we see where it's going. We like it. We want to put it in the festival. That's great. But for, you know, someone who is unknown, the chances of you, them watching it again, when it's completely unfinished is like slim to none. And you're just not going to get into it. Like you have. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you'll have very, very low chance of getting into like those particular. I mean, I think that's all amazing advice. If I could offer you uh, some advice in terms of viral marketing, I don't know if you've seen uh, Bubbly's Buble connection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think you have some <laughs> options there, buddy. You have Tom Cruise, Penelope <laughs> Cruz, a variety of cruises that you just need to reach out and I think they'll jump on promoting cruise. I think if I have. Uh, if only I had gotten into Santa Barbara because Penelope Cruz was being she was being given like a, you know, lifetime achievement award or something of that nature. I just would have stormed that, you know, that award <laughs> ceremony. It's like, excuse me, excuse me. You know, I, uh, but maybe maybe I don't know. Maybe one I'll be out at like some sort of festival in the next few months and then I'll see a cruise related celebrity and uh, and uh, they'll be able to uh, endorse the film, you know. Reach out to to Chevrolet, Chevy Cruise, Chevy Cruise. There's oh, options here. I can't you know, do this Mark, anymore. Oh this my gosh, <laughs> you're killing me here, Mark. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Um, people that want to learn more about Cruise, where can they find some info? Where can they find it? Where can they find you? If people would like to follow along, uh, they can follow us on Instagram at uh, red at Red Ocean Tours. That's their uh, oh. the. The, we kind of are starting to build a sh- shared universe, as you would say. And one of those things where little little things we put into it, but I want to kind of continue on as we do it. So 
Um, Aloha Tours was the cruise that they were selling, but Red Ocean Tours is their parent company. And that's where the, if you follow <laughs> at Red Ocean it. Tours on Instagram, you'll, um, you'll see all of the acceptances that we have coming up. Uh, some behind the scenes photos and videos of us at festivals, hopefully. Uh, if people continue to accept us, of course, if not, then you'll see none of that. Uh, then, uh, they'll see me on my couch, you know, like of that, just hanging out, uh, continuously watching crews crying, you know, into the kind of thing. So, but, uh, no, but I would say follow at red ocean tours and you can also follow my own production company, which is called big pig production co. And ours is at big pig co, uh, on Instagram as well. Uh, Mark, really, on behalf of like all of us here at Laird Butter, congratulations on this. Like, Congrats, we're so buddy. happy and excited for you, and we can't wait to see what comes next. Thank you. I, it's funny because I, I, re- I really wish we could play TIFF, but maybe I was thinking to myself, like, <laughs> eh, maybe we'll get like into so many festivals, and there'll be like, there'll be no other Canadian genre film. They'll be like, a Midnight Madness <laughs> will come and be like, what do we do? You know, like, like <laughs> we have no idea what to do. Cameron Bailey's just going to be like, sweating down like walking down <laughs> king street and just like oh my god what am i gonna do Listen, yeah <laughs> let's go let's gorilla this you know like we'll fucking throw a blanket up somewhere we'll we'll force people to watch the six minutes of cruise it's it fortunately it's short so it can be we can do this I, we can just put on repeat it could just be continuous like that's the kind of thing we'll be like david lynch <laughs> yeah. when he got that cow and like was trying to get like uh what was it laura dern is like a yeah. oscar qualifying you know, well, well, Clockwork Orange. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cameron I know Bailey. You, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can watch over and over. Um, I don't know if you need any extra actors, but I recently performed the role of Nicole Kidman in her AMC commercial. I would like to... to <laughs> I have CC not seen this commercial. What AMC commercial are you referencing? <laughs> oh, Listen, no. go watch the commercial first, and then you can go check out my performance, <laughs> okay. and you will see how spot on it is. Um, Mark, once again, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's been a blast chatting with you, and we can't wait to hear what comes next. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate having me, and... Uh, yeah, uh, go check out go check out everything with Cruise, and uh, we'll keep you updated as we go throughout the year in our festival. Awesome. When we come back, we'll have uh, the Hot Butter Takes and Raft Film Club. But first, another quick break. The Layered Butter Podcast is brought to you by Red Squirrel Tail. To learn more about them, let's hear from the founder. Hi, I'm Allison, and I create handmade needle felt animals under the name Red Squirrel Tail. I make custom dogs, cats, and woodland creatures like chipmunks, squirrels, and birds. I create ornaments and handmade wreaths inspired by nature and wildlife. If you're looking for a thoughtful handmade gift any time of year, visit my website at redsquirreltail.com. And we're back. Uh, Raph, you know, we've been talking about films, specifically a short film, trying to get into a film festival. Uh, my question to you for Film Club this week, do you have a short film that you would recommend to people? Go check I out. I do. There's, uh, there was a documentary that came out. Or not documentary. I guess it's a short film. Like five, seven minutes long. Um, that's on Vimeo. I discovered it on Vimeo. It's a film called Last Minutes with... Um, and it was directed by Elliot Roche. Um, and Odin spelled O-D-E-N. Uh, it's, it was probably one of the first short films I've ever seen that was um, and it's literally about a dog um, on, on his way out, right? And Rod, you don't want to see this. This is going to, it's too, it's too much. <laughs> but I, I remember watching this film and being so emotionally affected by it. 
said. I remember like just being so transfixed by it. Wow. This is only five minutes long. I feel like I know everything. Family. Zoner too, right? Character. And state about it. So uh, I found it on Vimeo and it's still there and it's a fantastic seven minute, six minute um, that you guys should uh, it, you know, I, I think like when I was that young 2009, that young but anyway, yeah, go check it out last minute. Um, I have a, a, a second, I guess, maybe recommendation for people out there that want to check out some short films. Uh, Rap, have you seen this uh, this movie, The Strange Thing About the Johnsons? Oh, uh, isn't it an animated <laughs> film? I might. No, it's not. It's, it's no, it's Ari Aster. Oh, wait, it's Ari, it's Ari Aster. Aster. Yeah. Yeah. I've but it not is seen the it. most fucked up film. That is um, the best short film I've ever seen in my life. Like, <laughs> bang for yeah, hey, buck. Second for minutes, second. Here we like, go. I I don't want to. Yeah, I was gonna say that's like a it's please like record a yourself. Thirty minutes. Don't don't uh, don't read the synopsis because please that record is, yourself. Guess, like, kind of movie. like where yeah. the good part is or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I would say to people, if you are gonna check it out, it does deal with a variety of taboo things. And so, if you are somebody who is uh, triggered easily, like maybe check out some of what the trigger warnings would be for that movie before. But if you are not someone who is susceptible to that, <laughs> I would say go in absolutely blind. And watch this movie. Yeah. Um, Andrew, have you seen? Have you seen this you one? Did. I know Come you're on. a big uh, RE fan. I saw it. It was <laughs> an experience, and I wish I recorded myself. Um, okay, rate it. Yeah, rate it in his trilogy right now, and all the three films. Where does it stand between um, head That's so hard. Uh, I would say it's like the least scary, but the most fucked up. It's oh, exactly. Oh, yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. I'm down. I'm down. Yeah. I'll give it a shot. Maybe for Patreon. <laughs> watch it, you know. Watch it with your wife. Watch it with your wife. Uh, watch it with your parents. Invite the family <laughs> over. <laughs> Let's see. Um, anyways, that's where we will leave Film Club for this week. Uh, it is time for our hot butter takes. I will start us off this week. Um, my hot take is titled "Jane Campion Giveth Jane Campion." I love how away. you have a uh, title. <laughs> <laughs> Let's I don't know if you guys were keeping up with the Critics' Choice Awards that happened uh, as she was going in. Was it at the Critics' Choice? It was. I think it, it was. Anyways. Yeah. As she was going in, she was asked about Sam Elliott's comments. I, I'm not sure if we discussed those on this podcast before or not, but basically, he has a big issue with the fact that, um, you know, that how how the West and the Cowboys were portrayed in The Power of the Dog. He says a lot of shit, but what he really wants to say is that he doesn't like when cowboys Bruh. are faggots. That's really the core of what he wants to say, mm-hmm. but he's like too afraid to say those sure. words specifically. Um, he, he like that's the gist of his argument. And so Jane Campion came out and basically eviscerated the man. <laughs> uh, the best moment of her speech was when he says, Sam Elliott is not a cowboy, he is an actor. And I think that is something that actors would do well to remember Yikes. their place <laughs> in society. But just as one was trying to root for this woman, <laughs> one is reminded very quickly that at her core, she is still a white woman. Because when she won her award, <laughs> she came out and unprompted, oh, no. unnecessarily, just came out and said, Serena Williams, Venus Williams, you are both masters, but you do not have to face men. First of all, first of all, ah! in what way do, does she like, here's the thing. Let's be absolutely clear. 
in this North American world and context that we live in, there are very few, I would say maybe no groups that face more obstacles than black women. So calling out the two, maybe two out of very few black women that were at the Critics' Choice Awards to tell them that their accomplishments oh, are impressive, no. but not as impressive as the one that Jane Campion has to do is already some level of bullshit that is like entirely dissonant with reality. But then on top of that, like if you look into the argument that she's trying to make, it's not even like factual or sensical because Jane Campion is a director. And so she doesn't in her direction face off against other men, right? Like where she faces off is in trying to obtain these, these rewards, like the equal pay, the equal money for her projects. And so in that sense, Venus Williams has done exactly that. Because if you do not know, Venus Williams is one of the people that managed to get equitable pay for the tournaments for women and men. She did exactly what Jane Campion (laughs) is saying that she has never done. And so her entire argument is bullshit. And just a reminder, I guess, that like before you get too too high on anybody's like, you know, ego and stuff, it's like, oh, I love them. Like, give it maybe 10 minutes and they will probably disappoint you, as was Jane Campion's case. That being said, I still kind of hope she wins the Oscar. I think her movie was the best movie this year. <laughs> I'm seeing a lot of like Coda no. uh, like resurgence here. I can't feel it. I'm seeing a lot of like, you know, Cody not going to win. Probably that's looking like it's not. He's not going to win. And so that's saddening. But, you know, I do think that Jane Campion should probably win. But she should also probably shut the fuck up. And you know what would be great <laughs> if during her Oscar speech, she maybe shouts out the fact that she was an idiot when she said the other thing about she won't Venus do that. and Serena Williams. No way. <laughs> she won't, but she should. That would be maybe some level of redemption. Anyways, Raph, do you have something uh, a little more positive? I don't have any positiveness here. I mean, how can I like follow up with you? I say this every week, man. But um, no, <laughs> I, I was just going to say um, I have the Critics' Choice Awards and the BAFTAs, uh, uh, BAFTAs, uh, actually not the BAFTAs, but Critics' Choice Awards, uh, Jessica Chastain won again for the um, for Eyes of Tammy Faye, and the the critics were heralding. Oh my gosh, Kristen Stewart! I'm like, I was waiting. I'm like, this is it. Kristen Stewart's finally gonna show everyone that she deserves this, and she lost to the award show that I believe she would have won. But here's my situation. I was looking forward to chaos. I mean, of the last, like, even the lead up to the Oscars, you know, even the announcement that uh, Gaga was not nominated, chaos. Love it. Right. And then when Nicole Kidman started winning, chaos. And then Kristen Stewart made the Oscars. Whoa. Right. But now with with Jessica Chastain with two wins, I'm like, this is predictable again. It's calm down. It's calm down. And I I feel like the fun part about this is seeing the chaos happening throughout. And I feel like, and I don't know if it's just hive minds here, but I feel like once so, one person wins, a lot of the other industries will kind of follow suit. But it doesn't mean that it's a sure thing. I mean, we had Olivia Coleman. So let me ask you, let me ask you this. Here we go, boys. Do you feel comfortable enough <laughs> right now on this podcast to announce the winners of Best Actor, Best yes, Actress, yes. Supporting Actor, Supporting yes. Actress, and Best uh, Phil. I, I mean, I am 100. And if so, I am. Okay, let's do it right now. Are we going to do this? Here we go, boys. Uh, lock ladies. it in. Lock <laughs> it in. Um, Power of the Dog for Best Picture. Uh, best Director, Jane, Jane okay. Campion. Um, best Actor, Will Smith. Uh, best Actress, <laughs> Jessica Chastain. <laughs> um, uh, best Supporting Actress is going to be Ariana DeVos. And uh, Best Supporting Actor is Troy Kotzer. Um, I, I, I mean, just Those be- are very safe choices. 
it's safe because uh, I mean, the ones who've won so far, Ariane has never lost. Right, Jane Cambion. I don't think, but it never lost. really goes like that in these in these awards. Shows, no, right? but I, I mean, like we'll see, we'll see. look at the sags. We'll look at the battles. Lock it in. Come lock it in. Yeah. Okay, just wait in like two weeks. You're going when, by the history. When we call out uh, um, Andrew Fry, Andrew Fry will let us know. He'll let us know if you're right or not. So that's it. You locked it in. We will see how how valid uh, that ends up being. Um, Andrew, let's go to you. What's the, what's your hot take? What's been on your mind? Oh yeah, yeah it might be a hot butter take, but um, I just thought you know I was just. I thought Batman was just okay. I, I, I didn't understand. I love the hesitation to say this. The cyber bully this man. I, I, I don't want to get cyber bullied. Please, I like, please don't expose my letterbox. Mute uh, this man. Yeah. I'm kidding. Go, go, go. No, no I just enjoyed it. But you know what? Sure. I just enjoyed it. But like seeing everyone, I follow a lot of like all these groups on on. On, on Facebook, like movie groups, and and of course the poster. A twenty four hive. Um and uh, always yeah, letterbox uh, reviews, of course. So I'm I'm exposed to all of this, right? So when everyone saw it, people loved it. It's it's either like actually, you know what? You know, everyone loved it. Like no one kind of like thought that it was just like except you. Okay, yeah. except for me, I was just very whelmed by it. I enjoyed it. I thought Pat like Robert Pattinson was great. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I like did people just forget that the Dark Knight existed? Like uh, I know it has it's mm. been like over like I don't know how many years it's been, but like is it recency bias or just like a new fresh take that like everyone is flocking to this right? Because it's like people like Raph, you were com- you were comparing it to like Zodiac. Which it does look like Zodiac, but I felt like, you know, I, I was, I talked to you guys about this, like a lot of the set design or, or just like how the movie kind of like paid attention to the details. I thought yeah. like that was like a severely lacking because like uh, the, the, the Riddler's font, it was like font? a font that the like font? people use. <laughs> yeah. I, it, it's a font, but it's like, it, it's supposed to be. the designer of Layered Butter okay, magazine. Fine. Right. Like, sure. So like it's the attention the to detail. So font. it's like, if you're going to like. If you're gonna like, if you're gonna like commit to it, like have him like have someone write it like an actual psychotic killer, right? Um, but anyways, it's just like small things. But I mean, I, I, it's just like small gripes. And then I thought the music was just like, oh my god, it was, it was too heavy handed. Like, and and then what are, is the are actual you, are messaging? You dragging, uh, Michael Giacchino or Nirvana here? Uh. The score was forgettable. So, Damn. whoa, both. really? Um, yeah, I love Giacchino stuff. Um, so maybe he should only stick to Jurassic World scores because, yeah. Uh, anyways, yeah. and then if you're if you're gonna like give a Paul Dano his roses, give it to There Will Be Blood. Don't get like because I felt like his little rant ah. was like very similar <laughs> to Eli Sunday's rant. And, and, and then I'm like, recently oh. found out that that man was not even supposed to play Eli Sunday, right? Like he and somebody pulled out, and then. He oh, who was supposed to play it? Sunday? I don't know, but it was originally he was originally only supposed to play right because the then and then right and then it ended up became, becoming like a twin and then like this whole theory about the same him being the same person. Duh, duh, yeah. duh. But anyways, anyways, I, I, I just I, thought to, it was to, good. To your, and then to your take, to your take, Andrew, I do just want to say that I I think there is some level of recency bias. I think like when we sit with this one in five years, let's revisit it. I think it's still going to be a good movie, and that since I don't agree with you. But I do think that some of like the hot fire, like this is a five out of five, will have subsided a little bit. I have receipts. I've screenshotted everything that Raph has said. And, uh, <laughs> I'm what kidding. a guy. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, Fine. maybe I'm just being I'm okay with uh, it, a, a big Nolan fanboy. I miss, but I also like Batman versus Superman. So maybe don't take my word for it. Maybe I just missed the Hans Zimmer score. I don't know. I don't know. Don't don't at me. Just 
That's my take. At him. And it's at hot. him. At Layered Butter. Let's talk. <laughs> at Layered Butter. No, at my personal profile. <laughs> Boy, it's Andrew. Are we, are we dropping but, that? Yeah, right that's now? my that's my take. Um, that's what we're going to call it for the week. It, make sure to follow Layered Butter at Layered underscore Butter on Twitter and at Layered Butter on Instagram. You can find me everywhere on social media at Arcocting, R-C-O-K-T-I-N-G. Um, Andrew, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at Oh, it's Andrew on Letterboxd and on Instagram. Okay. And Raph, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at jraphaelcordero, or, or you can find me on Layered Butter. A lot Layered Butter. Well, you can find me on Layered Butter. You can find me on Letterboxd at jraphael. Uh, make sure to catch us next week where we'll have another great episode for you guys, but that's going to be it for us this week. Bye. Bye. Bye.